Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Today's guest is the Dean of Kentucky's Congressional Delegation, Republican Hal Rogers, who represents Southern and Eastern Kentucky in Washington. If he's reelected next year and he's made it clear that he is running, Rogers could soon become the longest serving congressman from Kentucky ever. Democrat William Natcher served the Bowling Green area for more than 40 years. Rogers would be beginning his 40th if he gets another term. We'll talk issues affecting the nation, including immigration, gun control, and health care, and we'll ask Congressman Rogers about a lot of ongoing issues within his district. The Black Jewel mining controversy in Harlan, other things that are on his radar. And Kentucky Wired is behind schedule and over budget, but Rogers says it's essential for the state to move forward, especially in the largely impoverished area he represents. Legendary Congressman Hal Rogers joining us this morning. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Bill, good to be with you. Good to have you come in. As Thank we you. said, we've been together for the long haul. I remember your first campaign when you came through. Well, that, that's uh, worth <laughs> noting. Uh, I ran for lieutenant governor uh, in, in 1979, and I went to Williamsburg uh, to campaign, and there was a local radio reporter who was reporting for his dad's <laughs> cable station. Well, for, for the people that were there, right. My dad was friends with all of them. Right and there. I think this young guy by the name of Bill Bryant, I think he was all of 17 <laughs> years of age. We had a good time. We together. did. And uh, I guess the rest is history for both of us, right? Uh, so let's clear uh, one thing up uh, right off the top here. A lot of Republican House members have said they are retiring next year. And there have been some articles about that and it got a lot of attention. You very quickly said you won't be one of them. Right. I, my work's not done. Uh, maybe it never will be. But uh, there's a lot of things I still need to do. You know, the Kentucky Wired project that you mentioned, uh, bringing uh, fast, quick uh, cable service to the entire state, starting, starting in eastern Kentucky. For example, that is, uh, I think, the economic salvation of eastern Kentucky, frankly, and, and maybe the state. For example, uh, we've still got the uh, problems with uh, the miners. We've got an economy that is, has, was once uh, reliant completely on coal. We're having now through the SOAR organization to try to find alternate ways to make a living and keep our people at home. Uh, so the SOAR initiative, shaping our Appalachian region, that's higher on my list. So there's a lot of things I need yet to do. and. Uh, I would feel terrible about retiring and sort of quitting the job before it's successfully finished. What goes through your mind, though, when you hear, when we start talking about you could soon become the longest-serving congressman ever from or the Commonwealth? Or senator. Right. House or Senate. So member of a delegation you know, representing Kentucky and Washington, yeah. the longest ever. We, I mean, we have some big names that have, yeah. <laughs> have done that. <laughs> Alvin Barkley, uh, Henry Clay, right. uh, Wendell Ford. So on. But you're up for a campaign next year, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I'm already preparing. So uh, I hope it turns out good. How much have you had to adjust uh, over the years? With the, the so many things have changed, and yet some things have not changed. I know you know flood control was a, a major initiative early uh, when you were up there. How do you decide what gets your attention? Well, there's so many things in my district that uh, cry out for attention. Uh, we have a lot of problems. It's uh, one of the poorest districts in the nation. Uh, it's one of the sickest in the nation. We have more 
heart disease and, and lung cancer and obesity and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of challenges that are laying there on the ground. You, you can't avoid them. One of them in the past, you know, we were dependent upon, in Kentucky, on tobacco and the, uh, the federal price support system that propped up that industry for a long, long time. That got killed, as we all know. Tobacco faded away, so to speak. Now we're having the same kind of a problem with the basic industry in the mountains of coal. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to mine coal, but we won't be hiring as many people as we once did, unfortunately. So that's a big challenge to have to deal with. So what you, what you ask what I put my mind to, it's, it's what people tell me they want to do or don't want to do. Uh, and that's, that's a tough question, and it changes day to day. You have been in the, in the minority and the majority yeah. in your years. You shift back and forth. That gives you, a, a, you know, influence uh, waxes and wanes, uh, certainly in that. But have you always found it uh, a key importance that you explain your district to the other members that uh, you work with in Congress? Oh, yeah. I do that constantly. Uh, and it's unusual, to be frank with you, for a Republican uh, to represent the district that has these kinds of needs. That's, that's fairly rare. So uh, a lot of my colleagues uh, want to know why, what, and wherefore uh, about that connection. Uh, but I've, obviously being in the majority is a lot more fun than being in the minority. My first 16 years was in minority. But I got on the Committee on Appropriations, uh, which is somewhat of a bipartisan committee. It has to be because we pass all the funding bills that keep the government going, or fail to. Uh, so that allowed me, as a, as a minority, when we were in the minority, allowed me to be able to get things done that uh, on any other committee would have been probably impossible. But because of the collegial nature of that committee, which I later chaired when we were in the majority, uh, allows us, uh, as a members of that committee to, to do things that we otherwise couldn't do. Let's talk about uh, some of the issues. Opioid crisis yeah. is profound. It's ongoing. Uh, yeah. We're uh, obviously many years into it. Uh, some indications that we are seeing uh, fewer overdose deaths uh, at this point. Uh, is there, are there hopeful signs there? There is a ray of hope for the first time since I became involved in the problem 16 years ago when we had the Oxycontin bomb dropped on East Kentucky. Uh, and I, I've been to the emergency rooms and, and to funerals and the like of, of kids, young people especially, victim of this insidious uh, addiction. But for the first time in 16 years, last year in Kentucky, we saw a 15% reduction in overdose deaths. Uh, that's in 2018. That's the first good sign we've seen in that long-standing battle. But that's the good news. Bad news is uh, they're switching to heroin or meth uh, or now fentanyl, which is a horrible uh, problem. So I think we're making progress on pills, um, but that's not the whole story. But it is a good sign, and I think the Many efforts that has been made in my district and in Kentucky, and I want to salute the legislature for passing that law 
uh, saying that you could not a doctor could not prescribe a medicine for longer than three days uh, pills that kept a whole lot of pills off the black market for example so the state has been very aggressive and and with good intentions and results but we're a long way from finished. I know you were instrumental as well in getting some money uh, funneled to UK where they are doing a study to look at uh, the best case scenarios, the yeah. communities that are best responding yeah. uh, to, the, to the opioid crisis. Exactly. About seven years ago, uh, I asked uh, Dr. Capaluto at UK to join us at the National Opioid uh, Summit, which, which uh, Kentucky uh, uh, unite put in place to, to, on a national level. Right, it's held in Atlanta usually. We right. was held in a, yeah. first in Orlando, then yeah. Atlanta. Now we've outgrown Atlanta. We're going next year to, to Nashville. We had 4,000 people there in, in Atlanta. Anyway, I, I, I brought uh, Dr. Capilouto to that summit, and he's been coming every year since with great results. He was the only college president of any rank that we had there. And he was sitting at the table for lunch and dinner and business with uh, the head of NIH, National Institutes of Health, with the head of CDC, Center for Disease Control, with DEA, FBI, and so on. The heads of all of these organizations at that summit. And they began to learn about what UK was capable of doing. And when it came time then for us to uh, start a new uh, grant program uh, between NIH and uh, the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, Nora Volkov, they turned to UK as one of four institutions in the country to begin a process of reducing uh, deaths from opioids uh, so that uh, they got a $79 million grant, the largest in UK's history. And there's four colleges in the nation, including UK, working to reduce drug abuse by 40% over the next three years. It's a daring, uh, adventurous program, but I'm really pleased. In fact, I'm going to visit with Dr. Capilouto in a few minutes. Uh, to talk about it, but it's going great. Your thoughts as miners block a shipment of coal from leaving uh, in southeastern Kentucky, the Black Jewel a coal mine that uh, has uh, declared bankruptcy. Uh, those folks uh, worked, uh, their paychecks bounced, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts about their situation, is it symptomatic of the coal economy in eastern Kentucky? They are innocent bystanders of a, of a, a terrible problem. And that's the diminution of, uh, of the amount of people involved in mining coal. Uh, they're wonderful people, uh, and they've conducted themselves, I think, in a very courageous and, and positive way. When it, when it happened, uh, and it became in, involved in the bankruptcy legal proceedings, it sort of limited what some of us could try to do because it's a court thing. And I've tried to stay away from court cases along the way. But I did get in touch with the U.S. Department of Labor in Atlanta and had them come on the scene to do what they could to, to help these people who are innocent uh, to get their pay. 
And they've been on the scene since that time, in fact, filed a suit uh, to help solve the problem. I hope it's uh, on the way to a solution, but it's a, it is a problem that may, be, may find itself occurring again. You said you, you hate to get involved in some of these proceedings, but uh, often uh, you get the call and people are asking for your help, and they did when the, the Social Security attorney, Eric C. Kahn, yeah. uh, defrauded the government and yeah. has since uh, uh, gone to a prison for that. Yeah. Uh, many of those people lost their, their benefits for a time. You stepped in to try to get, at least on a stopgap uh, measure, yeah. To, yeah. to get them uh, their checks. Yeah. And it worked. Uh, what a sad case that is. Uh, shocking, in fact. But the, the black jewel miners uh, were innocent. They deserve to be paid. Uh, and I'm always now hopeful that the bankruptcy court in West Virginia will find in their favor and require that they be paid before anybody else is paid. All right. Congressman Hal Rogers is with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll ask you more about Kentucky Wired and then some of these national issues that uh, are going on right now. And there are plenty of those that are burning in Washington. We are back in just a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we are visiting with Congressman Hal Rogers, who has represented the 5th District in Central and Eastern Kentucky since his election in 1980. Congressman, again, what a pleasure to have you with us, and we appreciate it. The Kentucky Wired project has had its challenges. We know it is behind schedule and it is over budget, but you have said that it represents such an opportunity uh, that it cannot be abandoned. Absolutely. I, I think uh, I think it I can say this with profound belief uh, that the high-speed, high-capacity cable that we're running now throughout eastern Kentucky is the interstate highways of this age uh, because it's how industry receives their raw data and it's how they process it and ship it out the same way. So it's like an interstate highway. And I think that's so important to our region. We need interstate highway roads as well. But I think the future rests with this new way to transport raw material and results. So that hopefully uh, our people will not have to go to Detroit or Cincinnati or whatever to look for a job. They, they can do it at home. Commuting for you has never been easy from Somerset to Washington. I mean, uh, you know, in, in, and I mean that physically with the places that you've had yeah. to go to get on a plane. Yeah. No scheduled airline flights in your district, though you have tried over the years, and there have been, for short periods of time, there, have been, uh, there has been carrier service. Uh, is that just a tough uh, challenge? It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, there's no direct flights between Lexington and D.C., which is where I normally fly out of Lexington. But you got to go through Detroit or Atlanta or Charlotte or whatever. And many times you miss connections and you're sitting yeah. around. I they, said they, they, the, they still have the one real early one, I think, don't they? But, but There's a 6.30 a.m. Yeah. But from Somerset, <laughs> <You have to leave. laughs> that's, that's a long time. Yeah. But I spent nine hours recently in the Detroit airport because of a mix-up. But, yeah, it's a... 
problem. Let's talk some national issues. The country dealing with uh, some major things right now. After we had these uh, uh, high-profile uh, shootings recently in Ohio and Texas, uh, there's been a call to do something uh, to keep guns out of the hands of people at risk of uh, committing uh, those types of massacres. Senator Mitch McConnell says he is open uh, to uh, discussing gun access when Congress reconvenes. Uh, what is your approach on that issue? Do you, uh, do you draw a line somewhere? There's so many aspects to the problem, and my heart goes out to the victims in El Paso and, and uh, other places around the country. Uh, two things I think we need to address. One is uh, we've not been doing a really good job with uh, keeping the hands out of people that's mentally ill or a criminal. We've not done a good job, no doubt about it. We've got to address that, I think, somehow. And the other, I think, is the violent matters that, you, that kids are playing on these video games. Those, those games are violent and horrific. Uh, and movies, same way. I mean, these kids at a very tender age are being exposed to what they are led to believe is the way the world is, and that is shooting and killing for the sport of it. And I think we have to address that. And the industry ought to be the ones that, that, that do that. I hate to see us required, have to pass federal laws that would regulate some of these violent things on TV movies and video, most important. If it came to that, would you be for it? Well, it depends on what it says, of course, but uh, I think it's an area we need to look at. Secondly, more importantly, I think, probably, uh, I just signed on to a bill to a sponsor called the TAPS Act. And what it would do uh, would, would put in place a study to see if we can use what's called the Behavioral Threat Assessment and Management. B-T-A-M. It's something the Secret Service has engineered and uses to this day, as well as the Capitol Hill Police, to uh, evaluate the threat, the apparent threat of a person or event, uh, how to tackle it, how to deal with it, whether it's real or not and the like. That's the type of thorough inspection we need to have, I think. So I sponsored that bill. It's not passed yet. Hope it does. But I think the, the, the fact that we're, we're, we're seeing people escape through the net to cause these horrific damages. Uh, is the gun issue one that, like so many, is seen differently through the prism of rural lawmakers and those who represent uh, urban areas? Yeah. yeah, I think so, to a large degree. Uh, we want to be sure, above all else, that we protect an individual's right Second Amendment rights under the Constitution you, uh, to not take guns away from uh, decent people. You and Senator Lindsey Graham have written to the President about a proposed uh, rescission in funding of about $4 billion set to go to the State Department and another agency. Uh, you have said you think that would embolden U.S. adversaries. Yeah. This is the second year he's tried to do this. Last year he tried it and we said no. 
Uh, he being the president. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, OMB. Yeah. Uh, it's Mulvaney in the Office of Management and Budget. But it's the White House. Anyway, we beat it back last year, and we'll have to beat it back this year. It would take money away from fighting uh, terrorists. It would take money away from uh, trying to keep illegal aliens from our southern border from coming across. These are vital funds. Uh, and you call it foreign aid, and I guess you could generally call it that, but it's really anti-terrorism money that we're talking about. Do you have concerns about uh, the U.S. economy right now with the tariffs imposed by the president leading to uh, uh, some economic uncertainty, a volatile stock market, uh, some say possibly a recession on the horizon? I don't see a recession. Uh, we've got a, a hot burning economy, strongest in the, co in the world. Um, so all the indications are, you know, we're doing quite well. Unemployment is way, way down to its lowest level ever. Uh, wages are beginning to increase, which is good. Uh, more Hispanics are working than ever before. More African Americans are working than ever before. More Asiac, Asia Americans, same way. So it is a good atmosphere that we're in. Uh, I see no storms on the horizon. I think Democrats would love to see, frankly, uh, a recession in order to take away Trump's uh, key player next year in, the, in his election. Uh, let's talk immigration for a moment. Do you uh, do you support to building a physical wall along the uh, U.S.-Mexican border? Oh yes, I started this when I chaired the very. We started the Department of Homeland Security in uh, '03, and I was the first chairman of the subcommittee that funded DHS, which included walls. And so we built walls, especially in San Diego. In fact, we built a triple wall. And now uh, San Diego is, is free and clear of, uh, of illegal immigrants. But we started building those walls, and it's 1,500 miles through harsh terrain, deserts, Indian plantations, uh, and so forth, our reserves. So it's expensive, yes, but it's the only way. How do we streamline the process for, uh, for, for getting those who apply for citizenship uh, processed and, uh, and into the U.S. Uh, legally? Well, it's uh, obviously a almost impossible job. The, w the way we do it now, we, they, they surrender and then claim uh, that they were tortured back home and went in under asylum. We receive them, we mark their case on the books, they appear before a judge for a split second, come back in a year, they say, and mostly, most they don't show up at, back in a year. But most of the illegal aliens in this country now came here legally uh, and simply stayed beyond their, their visa. Um, so it's the the problem is, is is both new illegals, but more importantly, the ones who've been here a long time. Congressman Hal Rogers is with us. Uh, Health care. Before we go, and we'll uh, discuss that with him, and uh, ask him about a couple of uh, local political things when we come right back. 
Welcome back. This is Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT, and we're visiting with Congressman Hal Rogers, the Republican who has represented the 5th District in southern and eastern Kentucky since 1980. Congressman, it's uh, good to have you. Uh, nothing more personal out there than health care, uh, certainly, and uh, you're working to fine-tune what you're calling the American Health Care Act. Uh, you've called it urgent that that be done. Uh, it repeals the under the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, the individual and employer mandates and apparently gives a tax credit for health care? Is that the essential change it would make? Yes, yeah, I think so. Uh, do you think that has a, a chance of passage? That's a good question. Uh, this whole subject, health, national health care, uh, is going to go on for a while. Uh, it's been going on for a while. Your predecessor, Tim Lee Carter, <laughs> talked about yeah, national that's healthcare. exactly yeah, right. My predecessor 40 years ago, Dr. Right. Tim Lee Carter, medical doctor. <laughs> uh, he was wrestling with this back then. Uh, and he was the only doctor in the house at that time. Now we got like 30. Uh, but this issue is going to be going on for a while. Uh, there's so many different ramifications of it. Uh, I'm not on the committee that deals with that in, the, in a direct sense. Uh, although uh, Brett Guthrie from Bowling Green is. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. You pay much attention to uh, in-state politics? You're watching the oh, governor's, governor's sure. race? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, do you, uh, how do you see that right now? Well, I'm for Governor Bevin uh, Strong. I think he's doing good. I think he's coming on really well. Uh, he spent a lot of time in my district, and I'm trying to be with him when I can. Uh, but he's, he's working hard. He's addressing the issues that are important to me uh, economically. Uh, and he's been a real pusher of the uh, Kentucky Wired project. Uh, I mean, he's, a, he's a true sailor in that one. And he's also, as you know, co-chair with me of the SOAR initiative, Shaping Our Appalachian Region, based in Pikeville, to try to reshape the economy of uh, East Kentucky and to re remodel it. And he's into that heavy and doing a good job with it. Got just a few seconds left. When did you most consider running for governor? Because I know <laughs> there were junctures along the way. Was well, there was two or three different times when I, I was right on the verge uh, and people wanted me to, they said. But, I, but you've got to want it more than anything in the world. It's got to burn your brain. And it, I just didn't have it in my gut. I didn't. I, I wasn't caught afire with the need to do that. And secondly, I was. I was happy with doing what I was doing, and that's getting things done for my area. Those flood walls we built early in the 80s. Those towns don't flood anymore, and that to me is. <laughs> That's great, great stuff. Congressman, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Make it a good week ahead.